0: And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall!
1: Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hey, thank you very much for tuning in. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. (laughs) That's right. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before I want to jump into this episode, though, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, the incomparable Dee Wallace. Her episode was incredibly popular, and if you haven't had a chance to hear our fantastic conversation, I strongly encourage you to seek out that episode after the conclusion of this one. All right, welcome to episode 141, And we have a fun little episode lineup for you today. We have on the show professional interpreter and author, Stephen Capsudo. Stephen will be talking today about his popular book, Alternate Channels, Queer Images on 20th Century TV. He is a truly fantastic man to talk to, very intelligent and very passionate about this subject. So let's get Stephen out here. Duval Nation, please join me in welcoming all the way from New York, interpreter and author, Stephen Capsudo. All right, Stephen, hello. Welcome to the Director of All Show. How is the weather out by you today?
2: It's kind of cold up here in New York. Uh, Fortunately, I'm in a well heated apartment and very happy.
1: Nice. So I start my newbies off the same way. How has it been for you to navigate the COVID 19 pandemic up to this point?
2: You know, it hasn't affected my life a whole lot because I'm a freelancer. So I work from home and not a whole lot changed. The only thing was that my partner lives about eight miles away and the first Six months, we weren't sure if it was safe to ride the subway, so I was doing a lot of walking, which was good exercise, so that's healthy.
1: So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born?
2: Sure. I was born in Philadelphia, grew up in the southern New Jersey suburbs of Philadelphia, have learned to talk less Philadelphian since I got to New York, because people don't know what the heck I'm talking about if I use Philly terms. It's weird. It's only 90 miles away or something, and, and yet people talk rather differently.
1: Are You excited for uh, the Philadelphia Eagles?
2: Ah, uh, you know I am not big into team sports, so my my Fair big enough. thing nope. with team sports nope. is yeah, whatever whatever city I'm in, if if the local team wins the championship, I just try and stay inside for a while.
1: <laughs> That's great. I like
2: that. Philly it's... sports fans are really uh, enthusiastic, so uh, whenever there's a whenever there's a, a championship win in Philly, the police actually have to go down what's going to be the victory parade route. And because they know people are going to climb up on things and fall off and get hurt, they grease all the lampposts and the bus shelters.
1: That's brilliant. I love it. That's great. (laughs) So you have attended the University of Pennsylvania and Rutgers. What was your major?
2: I studied uh, my major in undergraduate was Spanish. Uh, Rutgers had a professional translators training program, which is what I do for a living back at a time when that was a rare program to have. So I was lucky I was, was in one of the few programs at the time. And then at Penn, I was also in the, the Romance Languages program for, for graduate work. Do you have any favorite memories from your time there? I, you know, I loved Penn. I didn't love the department I was in, but the the campus itself and, and the student life was just remarkably, you know, and it was very different from Rutgers. You know, Rutgers was a state university and, uh, Penn, I, had, I was on a teaching fellowship there, and I had these undergraduate students who just clearly came from so much money, and it was such a different world, you know, just hearing them talk about, you know, the, they had, uh, at a time when people didn't have photocopy machines of their own, you know, a lot of my students had them in their dorm rooms, that sort of thing.
1: In my opinion, and I'm pretty sure it's universally approval, is you are gifted in the art of languages. How many languages do you currently speak?
2: The ones I speak fluently are English and Spanish, which I've spoken both of them since childhood. But I also work as a translator from a few other Romance languages, from Catalan, uh, from Ladino, also known as Judeo-Spanish. I've been doing a lot of that for a a historical texts anthology. Uh, Spanish, French, Catalan, Portuguese, and Ladino. Those are my source languages. And you almost always work into your native language because otherwise you wind up writing embarrassing things. (laughs) Did you always want to be a translator? I had wanted to be a translator from when I was a a student in high school, but at the time it was rather complicated. This was before the internet. So you had to find clients in your city and, and, you know, bicycle messengers would bring you typewritten texts and you would type them. It was very complicated. So I wound up working as an information technology tech support person for 14 years And then finally went back into translating by the time the internet had arrived, which was much easier. So
1: I want to talk to you about your book, Alternate Channels, Queer Images on 20 TV. Where did the idea come to write this book?
2: So when I was in graduate school, which was a much less queer-friendly era than we are in now, I was volunteering with an organization called Gay and Lesbian Peer Counseling of Philadelphia, which was a crisis hotline. Uh, that was run out of the Christian Association on the Penn campus. And we got a lot of calls from suicidal gay and lesbian, mostly teenagers, kids who had in many cases come from conservative Christian backgrounds, often Catholic, and who had been taught that you know God has no use for them in this life or the next. So they thought, why bother? And When we would ask them, because our our clinical psychologist, who was our support person, had said, if the caller is calm enough to ask this question, ask them what they think gay people's lives are like. You know, and this is, again, this is the 80s. It's a very different era. And, you know, to see what they think they are doomed to if they, quote unquote, let themselves be gay. And every kid I talked to said, I only know what I see on television. And then I looked through the logbook and everyone else had gotten the same answer. And that really kind of threw me because, I mean, I was in grad school, and before that I was an undergrad, so I wasn't watching a lot of TV. But I remembered from when I was a teenager, the images of gay people on TV were very rare, but they weren't the sort of thing that would make you want to go end your life. So I wondered what had happened in between, and I started interviewing younger people, but also older people, people who were in their 60s, 70s, 80s, about what the media images had been like when they were young and coming out. And I thought, maybe I'll get three newspaper articles out of it. And 11 years later, it was a 500-page book. That's awesome. How long did the search take for the book? It took about a decade. And I was very lucky. Writers and producers were willing to talk to me, uh, particularly ones who had already retired, who didn't have as much to lose. So the one of the writers for Dynasty gave me a fantastic interview. Uh, the executive producer of Brothers, which was, I think, Showtime's second scripted series back in the 80s. Ran for five years and the main characters were gay. You could do that on premium cable. You couldn't do that on a broadcast network. So I just got these great interviews. And then I found all sorts of material from the anti-gay activists of the era where they were talking about television and their lobbying of sponsors. And I just put all those narratives together with Descriptions of what was happening on screen. So you have the behind the scenes pro and anti, how it's affecting young people looking at the media and then what the actual images were on screen. We're going to talk about
1: the reception for the book, but I see you were a semifinalist for the American Library Association of two thousand one. What do you remember? What do you remember from actually being uh, nominated for that?
2: That that is less impressive than it sounds. Actually, all well, all being a oh, semifinalist well. means is is that somebody nominated you. Uh, I didn't find that out until years later, but apparently quite a few people did submit my book for what is now called the Stonewall Book Award. It was called something else at the time. And it was very well received. It's been used in uh, college courses. It's widely cited in more recent research. So the book came out, the first edition came out in the year 2000. And then in 2018, I got in touch with my agent because people were asking me for copies And I had spotted some errors in the original edition and the original publisher who was fantastic to deal with but had made some choices I didn't like, like they chose not to put any of the photos in. So I said, can I get the rights back to this and just put it out myself? I will do the typesetting, I will set up the photos. I've worked in desktop publishing and in pre-publishing layout and everything. So I was like, I can do this. I can fact check it from scratch because now much more information is available than was available in the late 90s, early 2000s. Shows that were thought to be lost, recordings have been found. So now I can quote the dialogue directly instead of relying on, you know, newspaper reviews. And more photos are available. So the revised edition came out in, I think, 2020, 20th anniversary edition. And I literally fact checked everything from scratch. So it's a much better book. And I reinstated some things that Random House had cut from the first edition. Like
1: you said, you are now on a revised edition. You know, off the top of your head, what sort of things were changed or added?
2: The the section about Christine Jorgensen, who was the first sort of openly trans celebrity in America, who, who was really outed. I mean, it wasn't that she wanted to be out. Uh, She had gone to Denmark in 1950, I think, and had convinced a surgeon to do top surgery and bottom surgery and planned to come back and live anonymously as a photographer and documentary filmmaker. And a friend of her father's sold her story to the newspapers, along with like before and after headshots. And so she was outed in 1952 in a really horrific way, or late 51, maybe, and was on front pages of newspapers and was the object of humor. Anyway, I wrote about her in the original book, but I had the sequence of her early media appearances wrong. So I fixed that and I gave a little more context to that. And then there were things that I thought would be clear to readers in 2000, because people in 2000 remembered the 90s and the 80s and maybe the late 70s that I thought needed clarifying now. So for example, Anita Bryant's big anti-queer campaign in the late 70s I took it as read in the original edition that people knew that one of the great slanders that the religious right raised about queer people was that supposedly we were child molesters. And that had sort of gone out of fashion. So I added in a clarification that that's what she's talking about. And then after, right after the second edition came out, all this stuff came out of Florida where they're accusing us of being groomers and everything. So that has not died. And again, it's coming out of Florida, which is where she was. Florida has never been great on queer rights ever.
1: Hmm. I don't see it changing either.
2: <laughs> Not to the current governor, no. I don't.
1: <laughs> no. So when the original book was released, what was the overall reception to the book like?
2: Very positive. Surprisingly so. And in fact, the fellow who at the time was the dean of the Annenberg School of Communication at Penn wrote a book that came out shortly after. And at the time, he said that, that my book was the best resource on this topic at that time. Of course, now more recent things have come out, obviously. What I think is good about my book is that because it was originally written at the time and in the language of the time, that tells you things about the era that somebody writing 30 years later maybe would miss. So I think you need both. I think you need, anytime you're, you're looking at a period in history, you want to look at the more recent scholarship because that's going to reflect newly available information and insights. But I think you need to look at materials from the time also. With battles
1: going on in the halls of power and those battles potentially threatening established freedoms in the United States, what can people be doing to help fight those who would silence LGBTQ voices?
2: Right now, the biggest threat that I see is coming from the Supreme Court. And so we need to get people in the White House who are not going to put more scary-ass people on the Supreme Court. We just had the ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade. Justice Thomas wrote a, he had a whole list of previous decisions that needed to be overturned, he thought. And I know he's not the only one on the court who thinks this, but he was willing to write it and say it out loud. And one of them was the case that uh, said states can't round up queer people and put us in jail, right? That was a two, up until 2003, homosexuality was a felony, not even a misdemeanor, a felony in something like 15 states. When I was born, it was a felony in every state but one. When I was in my twenties, it was still most of the country. It was a felony, so it's not like it's some ancient thing that can't come back. And he wants to bring that back, and he wants to uh, eliminate marriage equality. And these are pe- this is the ultimate court of appeal in this country, and you know there's going to be challenge cases. And so yes, something has to be done to protect, as you said, those hard won victories and also you know things as bad as they are for trans and non-binary people i think this court will make it much worse okay
1: deval nation we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with steven capsudo may i suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths you know that's right Cluzo style
0: out with the bad in with the good. Out with the bad in with the good.
1: Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back.
0: Enjoy listening to podcasts, and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated, and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is introducing podcasting made easy from podtastic audio my production team will handle your entire audio production allowing you to be the star of your show this is podcasting made easy how easy well so easy you don't even have to press record now that's easy your listeners are waiting let's deliver sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudiocom slash easy
1: Duval Nation Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products
3: The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro As a veteran, I am
1: always the first to support veteran owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold.
3: With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate.
1: Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code dubal 37 all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a five percent discount remember folks if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water then it's not jerky pro beef jerky jerky pro
3: the standard in premium beef jerky products hey there this is frankie ray and you're listening to the derek duvall show my latest single over now is available on all streaming platforms hope you like it
1: Teachers, do you ever have these feelings, or have been told these things? Do
0: you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own, with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget
3: cuts!
1: Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you.
3: Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy, it is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on, Warriors. We've got this. Hey there, friends, it's Local Neighborhood Baby, host of Stressed, Depressed, and Anxious Podcast. With new episodes every Monday, go to the website, stresseddepressedanxious.com. There you'll find links to all of your favorite listening platforms so you can download and subscribe. The thing is, mental health illnesses make us feel so alone, like we're on this weird island all by ourselves, screaming at the top of our lungs, with nobody around to hear us. But the real truth is, you're not alone. I'm there too. On the podcast, I'll take you through all the intricate, intimate details of my very f***ed up life. We'll be laughing about it, crying about it, and everything in between. Because the truth is, you know what? It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We just can't see it sometimes. But I'm going to be right there with you in the dark. So go to the website, StressDepressedAnxious.com. Download, subscribe, interact. Come join the fun. I'm here. You're not alone.
1: Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, available on all major streaming platforms, and visit my site at patrickbakermusic.com.
3: You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.
1: Welcome back to episode 141 of the Dark of All Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with professional interpreter and author of the book, Alternate Channels, Queer Images on 20th Century TV, Stephen Capsuto. In your years of crusading, what would you say is the best advice someone has ever given you?
2: Well, I mean, one is that you have to actually do the the work of advocacy. I've heard some younger people who call themselves activists, but then say, I shouldn't have to defend my identity. I shouldn't have to try and change people's minds. That's beneath my dignity. And basically what they sound like they're saying to me, and I'm reading between the lines a little, is I should just be able to stamp my feet and demand what I want, and people will change their minds. And so you have to do the work of advocacy. You have to do it in ways that doesn't assume knowledge on the listener's part, that doesn't rely on buzzwords and catchphrases that mean everything to those of us who already know what we're talking about, but that will convey no meaning to the person listening. And you have to always tell the truth, because I, I see a lot of responding to to uh, straw figure arguments, right, That that the people arguing against us maybe are making some arguments that are hard to respond to concisely. And so rather than actually thinking up ways to respond to them, I see a lot of younger activists pretending that the opposition said something else and they refute an argument that no one is making and claim that... So just be honest about what the other side is saying, be honest about history, be honest about everything, because if you lie to people about the stuff they already know about, when you tell them about stuff they don't know about, they're not going to trust you. So Hmm. patience tedious answering of ignorant questions in basic terms and always be honest in your responses
1: so what's next for you
2: well you know i work mainly as a translator so i'm finishing up the translation of a 500 page history book and i'm about to start translating a wonderful new stage play from spain that has gotten rave reviews in barcelona and is playing now in madrid and i can't wait to start on that do you have another book in you you know, I I wanted to, I had two other, three other books that I really wanted to do. And the one that I think is most interesting, I don't think I have the patience for, but I wish somebody would write it. Uh, I think there is a great book to be written about how the pre-1990 movement for LGB rights and the movement for rights around gender identity merged. Uh, it was a, a slow, difficult, sloppy, in some ways, merge with people for and against on both sides. And it's a really fascinating story. And I think there's a great book or documentary to be made out of it. I don't think I have the patience. For, I'm I'm getting close to 60 now. I don't think I have the energy. And also, it's a story that no matter how you write it, you're going to piss off a lot of people. So in the year 2000, if you pissed off a lot of people, that didn't affect your life too much. But now there's the potential for you know online mobbing and things.
1: The echo chamber.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So as we enter the final
1: phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question: Is you know what do you sure. like to do to unwind? What do you, what are you
2: into? Any shows? What do you what do you do to relax? What do I do to relax? I love walking. I mean, there's a lot of parkland up where I live in in this part of New York City, so I love going out and walking and getting some exercise and spending time with my partner and family and friends. And yeah, I've been watching what what I find fascinating now, especially as someone who has followed the history of LGBTQ images on American television, is that now with the streaming services, we can see things from other countries that are coming out of completely different cultural backgrounds, which in some ways were uh, ahead of us considerably, in some ways, depending on the country, not so much so. And and I've found that just fascinating. I just finished watching a miniseries from Spain called Smiley, which is just adorable. It was based on a stage play. I had seen the play a few years ago, but of course he's taken that 90 minute stage play and the playwright has opened it out to something like six hours or something. And it's just, it's lovely. So yeah, I've been I've been enjoying that and spending time with people I care about. That's awesome. What
1: would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online?
2: Well, I am no longer on Twitter for, for reasons understandable. <laughs> uh, I am on Mastodon people are on Mastodon or everywhere, anywhere on the Fediverse. I am on techhub.social. And my account, I think, is Steven Capsuto, S-T-E-V-E-N-C-A-P-S-U-T-O. And on Facebook, if you look for alternate channels, you will find my page there. And I have a YouTube channel where I post clips from shows it says today in queer tv history and i'll post a clip from you know this date in 1954 or the year 2010 or something like that so i end my
1: interviews with my favorite question and the question is this if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of earth
2: wow i don't know think about how your actions affect other people that's it
1: Uh, The book is Alter Channels, Queer Images on 20th Century TV, available on Amazon, Barnes &
2: Noble, or wherever books
1: are sold. Stephen, thanks ever so much for taking the time to come on the show today.
2: Thank you so much, Derek. Have a good evening.
1: And just like that, Devon Nation, we come to the end of episode 141. I want to thank Stephen for taking the time to come on the show. I really enjoy getting to meet him, and I encourage everyone to seek out his book. Truly, truly an amazing person. And thank you, Stephen, for coming on the show. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have. So please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. We have everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go on the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank T Public for being such great partners with the Derek Devall Show. Speaking of the Derek Devall Show, on behalf of myself and the entire team here, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, folks, do something for yourself this weekend. Take a walk, hit the links, go to a ball game, or check out a local band. Some self-love is deserved from time to time. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth.
0: This has been a recording of the Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.